I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, Brett's Power Hour. On a Friday afternoon, a first-timer. You've seen him on TV. You've seen him all over the internet. You've seen him for many years. You may have even seen him at a Nashville Predators game. Who knows? He's all over the place. It's Eric Young, one of uh, my favorite professional wrestlers over the last 10 to 15, 20 years. Eric, like when I was first watching with Team Canada, how many many years ago was Team Canada now? Well, Team Canada would have been 2000. Four two thousand five. Yeah, so we're coming up on twenty years, right? I didn't want to say twenty and date you, but I was like, I feel like Team Canada was like yep. uh, close to sneak, uh, sneaky twenty years ago. Yep, yep, twenty twenty years on television, almost weekly. So well, there's got to be some kind of a record of some sort. I don't know. Yeah, does it feel like twenty years for you? No, no, it's it's. Uh, and the truth is, the older you get, the faster it goes. And I'm I'm forty three now, and it like you know, a week feels like a day, a month mm-hmm. feels like a couple days, and a year feels like a couple months. So it's it's going by real fast. How did you have you always been a hockey guy uh, before? Like, because this is a Preds power hour, and we're going to focus on the Preds here. But you're obviously a big Preds guy. Were you always just a big hockey guy growing up, and wrestling was just something you were good at, or did you ever want to be a hockey player first? Was that how it was? Yeah, for you I, I grew up in Canada in this yeah. little town in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Um, hockey was my life, you know, for mm. the majority of my young life. If I wasn't playing ice hockey, I was playing pond hockey in the winter. And if there wasn't ice, then we played roller hockey or, or street hockey on our on our feet. So mm-hmm. um, I've been, I mean, I've been obsessed with hockey for the majority of my life. Um, mm-hmm. I think my, probably my, kind of like my obsession for it became even more so when I moved here in mm-hmm. 2004 um, because I was down the street. So it was the first time that I wasn't at least, you know, an hour and a half away from a pro team. I grew up in uh, kind of, you know, mid, mid Ontario, bottom of Ontario. My childhood team was Toronto Maple Leafs. That's a Mm. four hour drive and tickets are insane in price. So like, I I, you know, I didn't really go to any Maple Leafs games, but I watched it, you know, religiously whenever I could, obviously television was much different than, you know, Mm. cable where I live doesn't exist. Um, They have satellites now, Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was young, that didn't exist. Like, this is going to sound like the old guy, but I literally had an antenna in my yard. Yeah. That allowed us to get a few channels from Detroit. So we had, I think, six or seven channels for the majority of my childhood. That's the only mm-hmm. channel we had. And if the weather was bad, then you probably didn't get them. So mm-hmm. hockey games were few and far between, but I watched as much as I could and had all the Don Cherry tapes. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've played it and loved it and watched it and consumed it for the majority of my life and definitely wanted to be a player, but was never good. If you could be the best 
you could be the Wayne Gretzky of hockey or the Stone Cold Steve Austin of professional wrestling. Which would you which would you have pit? Which road would you have traveled on? Yeah, I think it probably Wayne Gretzky of, of mm. hockey, it, just because it's so unobtainable for me. Yeah. I'm in no way, shape, or form comparing myself to Steve Austin, but mm-hmm. I'm not that many steps off of him. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I'm not, you know, and that's people in wrestling are going to get mad that I said that, but it, it, it's just the truth. We have the same job. We're doing the same things. Mm-hmm. I have no hair like him. Like <laughs> I've drank beer with him. He's a great dude. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I've accomplished more in wrestling than I ever thought I was going to. I ever set out to, mm. uh, and hockey is just—it's just an unobtainable thing because I'm—I'm rotten at it. Do you still skate? I do. Yeah, I still play at least once a week, and sometimes two or three times a week. Where are you playing at? Like, you don't have to say like, are you playing like full? Or we're not talking about roller. Are you playing like skating, like leagues? Yeah, if you're playing. Okay. Yeah, rec-, rec leagues. There's no yeah. contact. I would be much better if there was contact. Um, yeah. But there is no <laughs> I was going to say, like you, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Violent by design over here. I don't know how that works without violence for you in hockey. Me running into them. But yeah, I, I still play. It's a, it's a, I mean, a huge growing community here, here mm-hmm. in Nashville. Um, like, you know, telling my friends in Canada that I, I grew up playing with that there's, you know, six depending or nine sheets of ice 365 days a year and they're full. Like I played Wednesday and puck drop was 1045. Yeah. Like it's insane, right? People are becoming hockey crazy here and it's, it's really cool. And they're definitely hockey crazy because of what we saw last night, Eric, um, the fans, it felt like a tipping point. Did it feel like that for you where you get blown out? I mean, Boston, like there's no shame in losing to Boston, Boston, best team in hockey. They've been the best team all year long. Like the Bruins are an absolute juggernaut. But to go down 5-0 and to lose the way Nashville did, it was like one of those tipping points where you look at it, I think, for fans where it's like you cannot keep doing the facade of the the pseudo rebuild. We're going to keep reloading. We're going to float for a little bit and we'll find a way back into contention. It doesn't feel like that is where fans are at. Did you feel like last night was a tipping point uh, portion of the season? It's been, you know, it's been sneaking up on us for mm. sure. Um, I think, you know, the game before the Arizona game, the math is in your favor. You know, you mm. you you have whatever four or five games in hand. Calgary doesn't really seem like they want it. Minnesota doesn't really seem like they want it. Um, I know that all the teams want it, but like they're not playing that way. And the math is in your favor. Then you lose to Jake, Jacob Chikrinless Arizona. Mm. Right. And I mean, it's almost a guarantee that you're not going to beat Boston, whether you're playing at home or not. And you don't have Philip Forsberg like you got to win both of those games to keep the math in your favor. Well, now the math isn't in their favor. Mm-hmm. And um, the reality is, is without Forsberg, you know, the offense just doesn't go. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Yossi can't do it on his own. And the inconsistency of play, like most I've watched almost every game in its entirety this year mm. and they'll come out in like a second period and they'll look like the team that, that I think they think they are. And I thought that they were going to be, and that's everyone's moving their feet. They're pressuring the puck all over the ice. They're physical. They're hard to play against. Are they creating, you know, five-star chances and are they scoring these amazing you know highlight real goals no that's not the that's not the team that's been built here Mm -hmm. it's a much different team and it relies on constant effort and the second that they don't have that 
they look like a bottom team. And that's the team that showed up in Arizona. And that's the team that showed up last night uh, to play Boston. Like you said, there's no shame in losing to Boston, but Boston doesn't need to win that game. And you do. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's, it's the beginning of the end, you know, for sure. Well, Brad, um, when you look at the trade deadline, March 3rd, Eric, who are you like, how do you approach it? If you're Nashville, if you're Dave Poyle, like how do you approach the next couple of weeks? Who is off the table? Who is on the table that you would like to see moved or not moved? I mean, the reality in my opinion is it's, it's too late, right? Hmm. Like you had an opportunity to maybe move some of the bigger ticket players last season. And UC Soros went on this, superhuman run and forced the Predators into the playoffs where they got absolutely demolished by Colorado. And there's no shame in that either. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Saros got him in, then didn't play a single uh, a single period, you know, right? He was hurt. So at this point, David Poyle is in, in just the most unenviable position. I mean, at home, at his age, mm-hmm. And at the price of, you know, whatever it is, 6.2 or 6.5 million, he's not unmovable. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, with the freeze and the salary cap, there's how many teams that are contending teams have that kind of money? And, like, I know that people are like, well, what about Duchesne? And what about, you know, Ryan Johansson? Well, those players have no no move clauses. And Matt Duchesne has made it very clear that he doesn't want to play anywhere other than Nashville. Mm-hmm. And he costs $8 million. Last season, you could argue that he's an $8 million player. This year, you cannot. I think he's a great player, but the reality is is dollars and cents are figured out by productivity. And you haven't had productivity. That's wild. Yeah. Um, well, I just – when you see that Ekholm is, like, the main guy who would bring anything back in a trade, do you agree with that for Nashville? I, I think so. I mean – Defenseman, his type of style of play. I, I, mm. I was listening to a podcast this morning, and they were talking about maybe him going to Edmonton. And they're like, mm. "Oh, well, they, you know, they want guys that can move the pucks. Well, they have guys that can move the puck there. They have Tyson Berry. They got Darnell Nurse. Like Ekholm isn't better at moving the puck than either of those guys. I think Ekholm, because of his size and because of his style of play, is kind of unheralded in his ability to skate and his ability to move the puck." In no way, shape, or form is he Eric Carlson or or McCarr or Fox or, or a player like that, but he's a very good player. It, it, I mean, I think he's probably the only player on, on the Predators that has actual value where people would be willing to pay up to take him because the number is doable and because at this time of year, everyone's looking for a player like that. I mean, everybody. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, so with Matias Ekholm, yeah, I mean, that's, I think uh, I had listened to, I think it was Jeff Merrick and, and uh, Greg Wyshynski uh, talk about that. And, you know, when you're talking about, you know, Edmonton being a good option. And it does, it does make a lot of sense. And like you said, I mean, you know, it's ironic that PK was just being honored uh, just this week because, uh, you know, I bet you he probably doesn't recognize Matias Ekholm's game now, um, you know, back when, when they were partners. You know, if Matias Ekholm got the puck, he waited until, P.K. Subban came back and got it for him, and he took it out and moved the puck yeah. and stuff. And Ekholm was a purely defense-only guy. And now if you look at him, I mean, he's carrying the puck out a lot. I mean, he's a kind of a night-and-day player. And uh, as it stands right now, he's like the fourth best uh, player in the NHL right now at even-strength defense. 
So, I mean, he brings a lot to it. And I do think he would be the guy that's going to give you a return. Uh, but it's not just that we're going to find, you know, teams, you know, it's going to be a little bit difficult for teams to afford that. I mean, I think if Nashville's really serious about doing this, you know, m- trading Matias Ekholm means that they're starting the rebuild, I think, personally. And yeah. if they do that, you know, then they've got to really consider about how they're going to finish out this year, what they're going to get back. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they're committed to it, that they retain salary for the rest of the season just to make the trade work. But, you know, uh, like other people have said, it's it's going to be a little bit difficult for, for Nashville to be sellers in this market just by, you know, most of the guys that teams would target are locked up in long-term deals. So... It, it's going to be interesting. Ekholm is probably the most valuable piece that Nashville has that's realistic to move. Um, but, you know, I think doing that, like I said, is going to, is going to signal to the fans and to everybody else that this is a, this is a player, this is, this is a team that is no longer, you know, in the market to contend. Yeah, I think so too. And I, I wonder if there is anyone else, because you mentioned, we talked about Ekholm and Eric was talking about Ekholm. Um, is there anyone else outside of him that you think could get a big return, Brian? Um, so it's, it, I don't, I'm not sure. Cause it depends on what Nashville is willing to give up on. I don't think that they're going to move any of their big money guys. You know, Forsberg's not going anywhere. Yossi's not going anywhere. I don't think there's a market for guys like Ryan Johansson right now. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the trade value that Tanner Janot had is no longer there. Uh, Mikhail Granlin, same thing. He's having a, an unfortunate season. I mean, just not, not good at all this year. And so any, any possible trade bait they might've had with him. Um, I think really if, if it comes down to it, it's going to be a guy like Dante Fabro or Alex Carrier guys that are, you know, young guys, they're, they're uh, upcoming free agents. Uh, I think a lot of teams would be pretty interested in a guy like Dante Fabro just because, you know, his pedigree, I think that he's not gotten a lot of credit, uh, just because when you come in in Nashville and you want to be a top four defenseman, you've got to be, you know, stellar. And that's not where he's been yet, but he's a young guy. But those are the guys I think that they're, Nashville's going to get a realistic, you know, good return for. I think Ekholm is going to be the best. That's going to be, that would probably net them, you know, at least a first or second round pick and maybe maybe a player or something going back the other way. Um, I think Fabro and Carrier, I think they're not going to get quite as much of it, but you know, this is a draft where coming up that, that, you know, maybe, maybe you do make some trades and you try to build up your draft picks. I know national, you know, NHL is not quite like the NFL in terms of uh, trades at, during the draft, but they've got, you know, if they really are committed to rebuilding, they could probably gather some assets and move up in the draft, you know, because they're already ready to, to be, you know, in the running for the lottery. So why not try to boost your chances at that point? Well, you have a take, because we talked about the Bruins a little bit and what happened last night, but Everyone, like, we are guilty of this, too, I guess, on the podcast a little bit with Hines and Poyle just being the easy marksman uh, for just the way this season has ultimately gone for Nashville. But you have an interesting thought on, like, the players. Like, how, how much did this really come down to overlooking what the actual players are doing this year as opposed to what Hines and Poyle can really do from, from the front office and as a coach? Yeah, I mean, so it's 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 difficult because again, you know, the, the tendency is you want to blame the coaches, you want to blame the GM, and that's that's understandable. And there's a lot of there's a strong, probably valid argument for both of those. But I think the thing, you know, we've talked about it before. This team should be better, and we know that this team, as it's built right now, can be better because we saw it last season. I mean, we saw a year with these guys popping off and just 
you know, some of the best offensive seasons in Nashville history happened last season. So there's not much that changed. So yes, there could be a breakdown in coaching or, a co- the, you know, the, the strategy, the, the tactics that, the, that they're using. But, you know, we have to actually be honest and look and see, you know, there's guys that aren't having great years. Mikhail Grandlin, uh, Roman Yossi's game last night, you know, this was one where, you know, he had two penalties, one of them that led directly to a goal. It was, it was, it's, you know, not everybody is doing the best that they possibly could. And they've done better in previous years. I mean, Forsberg, Yossi, and Saros, I think, are by far the, the three best skater, you know, players on the team. If far, you know, look at metrics or just even the eye test. But when, after that, it drops down pretty quickly. And so, you know, you have to look at guys like your Ryan Johansson's, your Matt Duchesne, um, you know, the herd line, even like your, your, your bottom six guys, even they have an expectation put on them, but you know, it's just, it's not being put together. So at some point you have to look and say, yes, you can see where coaching could be an issue. And yes, we can see where the GM could be an issue, but you know, everybody's like, you know, a lot of people are angry. A lot of fans are real angry and it's, it's Poyle this and Heinz that, and, you know, and there's those occasional comments of, well, the players are doing whatever they can, but that's it. You know, yes, true. And I would be way more inclined to put the blame on the other two parties there. But the players do have something, you know, they have a say in this. They, they you know, they're going to be part of whatever happens on the ice. And so, you know, it's not necessarily that this team is built and the team is bad and they're just not performing because, you know, the coaching is trying their best, but they're not doing it. Um that's not necessarily the case, but there is a good share of the blame to go around for everybody for this season. And, you know, again, a lot of it should be and is pointed at the top, but the players still have to also be able to take responsibility for this game because, you know, they didn't look, they didn't look like a, a coordinated, you know, focused, disciplined hockey team last night. And that's not the first time we've seen that this season. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I mean, I agree with what he's saying. Is that it, 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 it doesn't seem like there's a high level of interest to compete. It is for me, it, mm. uh, it comes in spurts. Um, you know, a lot of the lower end players obviously are motivated because they haven't got paid yet. You know, mm. uh, and I would say Philip Forsberg is probably not on that list. He, you know, most nights looks like he's doing what he can. Um, but you know it, it's hard because I don't I don't know if there's one answer. You know, like people are like, "We'll fire Hines." I'm like, "Okay, well then, what's the answer there?" Or or you know, get rid of David Poyle. And it's like, "Well, okay." You know, I know there's a lot of rumors of you know, well Barry Trotz. Well, that's that's fun and that feels nice and I like Barry Trotz. But Barry Trotz has never been a general manager anywhere ever in his hockey career, mm-hmm. and I don't imagine it's a job that is very easy. Um, it's easy to point fingers from here. So, you know, but it's hard for me to say this is what needs to happen or this is what needs to happen because it's the blame is blanketed, right? Like it's nothing is going right really anywhere. And the truth is, is the rebuild is, is, is imminent, I believe. And it's the next thing. And a lot of people are asking for it, but I don't fully under, I don't think people that are all the people asking for it understand what it means because they've been able to watch a competitive hockey team for the, for a decade. Mm. And when you do this and there is no Matthias at home <laughs> and there is no Ryan Johansson and they trade away Colton Sissons and they trade away, you know, like this is a very, very different team and a team that is worse than the team that you're watching now. So if you're prepared for that, if you're, you know, you're willing to still spend your dollars to watch 
an inferior product, then okay, call for the call for the rebuild. And if you're not, then you need to be supporting David Poyle because he's trying to breathe life into this thing still. And I don't know if that's the right answer, but you know, as a person that uh, has been a Maple Leafs fan my whole life, I can tell you it is painful. Yeah, <laughs> it and is, it's 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 it a good point though you bring up just for the fact that. You know, this a lot of fans from Nashville, like I'll I'll admit myself included, you know, we can't a lot of people came on at the height of the success. And so right. they're not used to seeing what a bad team looks like. And you look at, you know, just the state of of, you know, I guess if you're a GM or you're a, a you know, you're the owners of a of a team, you're looking at you're coming at you're a couple of years out of COVID and like the seasons, everything has taken so long to kind of get back to normal. Um, you know, Nashville had Richmond Arena had this long record of sellouts consecutive sellouts that obviously was broken because of COVID and stuff, but it's not been the same since then. And so you have to, you know, honestly, you consider that a rebuilding team right now is not going to make a lot of money and things are a little tight too. And so the, yeah, there's, there's a lot of reason to not blow this ship up because, you know, you start losing season ticket holders, you start losing, you know, the guy, people coming into the game. We, we start to see what we saw last night where the visiting fans outnumbered Nashville fans. Yeah. It's um, but you know, that's and it's something that's important to consider. But on the other hand, all that's starting to happen anyways. And exactly. it, yeah. it's one thing to buy into it when you know that this is a process and they're committed to it. It's another thing to watch them kick it down the can two, three years in a row and watch the, the future get worse. And that, you know, the, the good future, you know, get pushed out, year, you know, another season, another season. And is it know, fair to compare it to the Blackhawks? where the Blackhawks have fought it for so many years and I it's a bigger market and I obviously like that fan base and that was part of the reason I think I was talking to Tad Bamford yesterday at Bleacher Nation about it where it's like they were kind of forced into it it's like you're getting worse like the contention's over like you can keep fighting it and keep Taze and keep Kane and keep these guys but like you traded for Seth Jones and like that was not a trade that they would have done now because they thought that they could keep this window going and Seth I think uh, he Tad told me about Seth was like yeah, I mean, this was not what I signed up for. So it's like, I think he'll probably be moved ahead of the deadline. It seems like that's very much a possibility because it's just not what he agreed to when he signed that contract. It's like, we're still trying to win hockey games here. And now they kind of were bad enough where it's like, you can do whatever, you can keep fighting this, but the days of you being able to get by with your crazy cap sheet are long gone and you have to rebuild. Like, you don't have a choice. Yeah, I mean that's kind of more of an extreme case almost yeah. just for the fact that they went, that would be like if Nashville, like this last off season went back and re-signed any guys that were still around from the cup years and like mm. brought them back like that, that thing, you know? And so they, you know, they mishandled things pretty badly. And I don't think Nashville is at that level quite yet, just because they banked in on their veterans and their big stars. Mm. Um, but I mean, right now, you know, Chicago's a little further ahead in the rebuild rebuilding process. It feels like so. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of you know, I don't know. I mean, Eric, what do you what do you think? Do you think it's a similar situation, or do you think that Chicago's kind of in a class of their own with what they're similar? Got? And this is the circle of life of the NHL. And mm-hmm. this has been since they implemented the salary cap. You get really good, and then you have no choice but to get really bad again to get really good. And it, it, it's it's just inevitable. And it's I think it is similar, but on like a sliding scale is. I mean, this was, you know, a, a generational team. You know, mm-hmm. They won, was it three Stanley Cups in, in, in the course of 10 years or whatever it was. Uh, you know, the Predators played for the Stanley Cup once mm-hmm. and lost. 
you know, um, so it's not comparable, you know, and also you have to understand the Chicago GM and the people in the front office there, you know, the fan base wants all these players to continue to play the, mm-hmm. you know, the Shaw's and the sods and, you know, these guys that the fans are pressuring them. They want them to stay there because they were part of this dynasty. They're part of this cup winning thing. But you know, I mean, half of those guys got overpaid because of the run they went on in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And it's inevitable that those players aren't going to be remain as good because they either played above themselves because of the atmosphere and playing with generational players like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze and Duncan Keith and Seabrook and on and on and on. So their play is elevated because they're playing with these players that are first ballot Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. You know, Patrick Kane will be in the Hall of Fame. Duncan Keith undoubtedly will be in the Hall of Fame. Jonathan Taze will probably be in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, so the high tide raises all boats. Mm. But the problem is, is those some of those boats aren't meant for the rough sea. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it, it, with winning comes paying these people that brought you there. Loyalty still does mean something in hockey, I believe. Um, but the problem with that is loyalty gets you in financial trouble because you only have so much money. It's a, it's a weird game of give and take. Yeah. I, I feel like it is still the biggest among the major sports in North America. Is I think loyalty is still the strongest in the NHL because you look at it with Sydney, you look at it with Ovechkin. I think you still see it across the board where like, I think I wonder if part of it, and it'd be a good like piece for somebody to write where I wonder because these guys are drafted so young and that they move to these cities and then they grow up there, like go through their last teen years, they go through their twenties, they go through, I mean, starting a family, meeting their wife, whatever. And they're just so locked in. I think that was something Tab mentioned with Patrick Kane, like whether or not he'll waive his no trade clause is that like he's been 17 to like his late 30s now has been in Chicago where it's like his life in Chicago. Yeah, it's tough to move on from that. Like it's just that's it's almost half your life now is in this one spot. And I think that kind of loyalty you just see in hockey where guys just stick around if they like their living situation and they're kind of contending and they're not on a bad, bad team. They're like, who knows? The playoffs are weird. The, we could always go on a run. I don't know. Like, I think a lot of guys are willing to stick it around. Stick yeah. It. I, I mean, I would say, you know, on one hand, if you look at any other sport, Connor McDavid wouldn't still be in Edmonton if this wasn't the NHL. I mean, a guy hmm. like that, you're not, it's just obviously not working. There's lots of things, but he's a guy who's, you know, he's not, he's a loyal player. Hmm. You know, he's not a guy who's going to go out there and shake, you know, shake things up or ask for a lot. Um, you know, that's one part of it. But two, you know, a lot of these guys just don't have that, you know, they, they agreed to those contracts. They agreed to no, no trade, no trade clauses and things like that. And sometimes it, it, you know, it works out for them and, and sometimes it doesn't, but you know, with, with a lot of these guys, I think it's a, I don't know. I think with, you know, Chicago, they had their blinders on from getting their guys from the championship years. And they're not the, obviously not the example that you want to follow as going through a rebuild. But on the other hand, you have a team like Colorado, mm. a shining example of what you can do and, and you know, how you can quickly turn it around. Another one. Yeah, yeah exactly. I well, mean, you look three at- years ago, they sent a letter to season ticket holders saying, like, look, it's this is going to stink. <laughs> you know, and they might be, you know, one of the most complete teams in the NHL right now. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it can be done. I think a, 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 a mo- if you're being modest, a, a, a modest rebuild is five years. But I think New York and, and like you said, Colorado, 
have shown it can happen faster, but like all the right moves have got to be made. Right. Uh, What's got- help? What would help? It's like a Connor Bedard in this draft <laughs> that would jumpstart a rebuild. Is uh getting is, is winning that the sweepstakes there? And I wonder if that's part of it. Like the calculus. Like we just need to be in the lottery. We need to like if you Connor Bedard is just it seems like a guy who's gonna just teams are gonna fawn and fight over like every oh, bottom drug. Going on for months. The the problem with it is like you know, Gary Bettman sitting there and saying you know teams don't tank because of the the weighted lottery and like open your eye. I mean, he has to say that he doesn't work for us. He doesn't work for the players. He works for the owners. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the things that he needs to say. And he's a lawyer and he's, he's never going to say anything that puts him in a weird position. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for people to expect him to say something different than you're just not paying attention. He's not ever going to not say that. Like it's, yeah. it, that's his job. You know, mm-hmm. that that's who he is. Um, but it's obvious to anybody that's watching the players and the coaches don't tank. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't. They don't give a shit about Connor Bedard. I don't know if we can yeah. swear. No, you can't. Yeah. Matias Ekholm doesn't care about Connor mm. Bedard. Neither, yeah. neither does Forsberg. Neither does Patrick Kane. Neither mm. does. They don't care. They they're they're right now playing to win games now, and they don't care. The GMs and the owners are going to do moves to make the percentage higher. But the reality is, how many times have we seen? You know, the Buffalo Sabers were the most visibly obvious tanking team probably in the last 20 years yeah. and they lost <laughs> they still didn't get the player they want mm-hmm. and you know that's a risk you know like and i don't i think some of the bad teams don't weigh it enough teams like arizona and even teams like chicago are, are winning games when it's just it's not what you want to be doing right now if you're those teams you want to give yourself the highest percentage chance to get a player like that so the worst case scenario, I think, is Columbus, right? Where you go for it at uh, one time and you don't have any playoff success to show for it. And now you're back in the gutter. Like you no. risked it all for that. And then you're just screwed. Like you gave it one big shot and then it didn't happen. I will always give Columbus credit for. No, I'm giving him credit, but like, it's the worst case I'm a fan. scenario. And I loved it. Yeah. I loved it too. And I, I don't you're think the owner necessary. of the team, you're just like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I mean, but like, I think the. NHL needs more of that type of mentality anyways, mm-hmm. because teams, are, if a team is going to be bad, you know, or the team is kind of at the end of their, their contention window, they're, you know, they're going to do something like this or they won't, but usually the result is still going to be the same. They're going to, they're going to sink pretty low. And that was something that, you know, teams could get excited. Like the fans got excited about the team got excited about it. And even though they knew that these guys are coming in and they're not going to be back, you know, like Matt Duchesne, you know, it's, it's it's one of those cases where they knew that, but they knew what the the they knew what the consequences could be, and yep. they went for it anyways. And that's something that you don't see in in hockey, at least not in the last five years. Just that yep. mentality of like you always see the mentality of we're going to try and you know buy up some players and you know only get one or two guys and be conservative. But you don't see teams that are like you know what our window is closing. We have no more time. It's time to do this now because in a couple of years we're going to be bad no matter what. And so. It's Not nice to see have that dog in them. That's exactly right. And fans appreciate that, I think. Mm. I think fans will, would appreciate an honest, like, we're going to just balls to the wall, throw everything we can at it. And if it doesn't work, well, we're restarting anyways, and it's going to be rough. I think that's so. how Columbus fans thought. Like, I don't think any Columbus yeah. fans were upset about what happened. Like, it was a worthy... Because if you win, you're like, that's a legendary story. Like, what an awesome moment, because we gave a shit, and we tried the deadline, and we went for a title, and then it w- played out that way. Like, that would, this is an awesome story. Like, you still rolled the dice, but that's how it works. Like you have to roll the dice sometimes. Yep. 
Um, well, when you uh, before I kick this back to Brian, because I think uh, Brian, we're going to talk about Ingram and Tolvanen real quick here. But in terms of Tolvanen, we've talked about him. What are your thoughts on what happened there and him moving on and uh, just kind of having to swallow that bitter pill? Yeah, I was I was very surprised by it. Um, I think mm-hmm. he, you know maybe uh, their highest rated draft pick that they've ever made. You know, like. Uh, a lot of people, you know, Forsberg was not a team, a player drafted by this team. He was, you know, brought in in a trade. And mm-hmm. I can't think of a, a better player that they drafted and developed that was, had the possibility of being a real, a real good NHL player. I think um, the public um, doesn't know the full story. I think I, I, I mean, I'm saying I'm one of those people mm-hmm. and, I think everyone, especially in this fan base, they want to point fingers at David Poyle for giving him up. Well, 22 other teams also passed on him. Mm-hmm. 22 other teams said, we're not interested until Seattle's like, okay, we'll take, we'll take him." Mm-hmm. And he scored in almost every game he's played there. <laughs> uh, it, it is gaining more minutes is, is, is the player that I thought he was. And I think probably you guys agree. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think uh, they should have, they gave him up for nothing mm-hmm. right i mean they got nothing in return this is a player that if he stayed here you know he he played in the top six you gave him real power play time because you know we're not going to be in the playoffs and let him really you know pile up some statistical uh you know some stats and some actual quality playing time this is a piece that they could have moved you know mm-hmm. at the trade deadline or in the off season, and they they gave him up for nothing. And if you want to point fingers, you can. But you got to point at 22 other teams because they also said the same thing. We are not interested in this free player. Mm-hmm. And look at Seattle. Seattle is the most fascinating team in the NHL to me and is Why? going to change how teams are constructed, how teams are put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, name, a, name a superstar on that team. I'll wait. <laughs> Yeah, Ward is my favorite player. I mean, he's certainly not a superstar. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's yeah, exactly right. Last year, everyone's like, "Oh, this." You know, we knew they were going to be bad. They don't have any of this. They don't have scoring. They don't have depth scoring. They don't have that. It was goaltending. They couldn't get a single save. You know, mm-hmm. goaltending is the most important position. The, the Predators are mathematically not eliminated for the playoffs from one player, and that's UC Saros. Mm-hmm. Goaltending makes all the difference. This year, Grubauer and Jones. Now you can look at Martin Jones and he's got like a whatever, an 825 save percentage. That's not good. But you go mm-hmm. ahead and look at the wins column. He's making the saves when he absolutely needs to. And he's getting scoring on the other side. And it's all up and Daniel Sprong is one of their highest goal scorers. He plays eight minutes. Yeah. Like it's this isn't there's no other team like this in, in the NHL. There hasn't been, and it's it's fascinating. And they might have the best broadcast in the league. Yeah, uh, agreed on all counts with that. I mean, they are, are so fun to watch. It's yeah. I've, I've got a chance to go up there and, and see kind of oh, get behind the scenes okay. stuff and, and see that. And it's 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 great. And you can see why they went and said, oh, this Tolvin and we've got to do that. Because, again, we've said this before on the show, but, you know, the Predators made it clear when Hines was hired. You know, Hines said that, you know, Tolvin is great, but he needs to be a 200 foot player. He's got to be mm-hmm. that guy. He can't just be a shooter. And so all last season, he he worked on that and became a good 200-foot player. I mean, just yeah. way more than even, like, I had high hopes for him. I think the fan in me was just like, this is, you know, R.O. Vechkin type guy. 
but I was even surprised by by the progress that he had made last season. And then, you know, like you said, if the team wanted to move on from Ellie Tolvanen, that's one thing. That's something that I can understand. You're at a crossroads. You've got to make decisions on these things. Yeah. But sure would be nice to have the trade trade deadline right now. You know, should hmm. you know, it just get something back. Get a fifth. Get something, anything. And that's I think a lot of the problem is is that, you know, you look at guys like if you had Connor Ingram in the system still and Ellie Tolvanen is still in the system still right now, you know, how high is the demand for a goaltender at the deadline? How high is the demand for a team to look at a guy like Tolvanen who's going to be cheap right now and willing to throw a bunch of picks at, at Nashville to get that guy because he's cheap and they think it might it might work out. Uh, yeah, all GMs are egomaniacs. Like they see this player that was drafted and considered a very good player and it doesn't work out and they're like, we can fix him. Yeah. If we get him in our system, if we do this and we do that, he's, they all think like that, you know, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and they should. I mean, if you don't have that mentality, then you're a loser in, in that position. So, you know, it's the fact that they gave him up for nothing is highly disappointing to me, but I think that there's, there's a lot more going on there than any fans in the NHL know. And I think it's proven by 22 other teams passing on them. On the flip side though, Connor Ingram, I don't think anyone batted an eye. Like that one was just one of those just odd man out type of deals for him. What, what about him uh, this season for you, Brian, what have you seen? I mean, so he's a guy that he got put in the unenviable role of jumping in and, and stepping in, in the playoffs against Colorado. It's, it's like the worst hazing ritual you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's to start against, you know, start against the avalanche in the playoffs. But, you know, he had – this is a guy that Nashville got for a steal. I think he got him from Tampa Bay for a seventh-round pick two or three years ago. And there were some rumors about what went ha- what happened, what went on, and we know that Ingram has, has been through quite a bit, you know, even in Nashville. Uh, but, you know, he came back, and they had to make a decision for whatever reason that, that they had – they went and signed Kevin Lincoln, in which, again, I and a lot of people – other people were wrong about. But they – they carried them to kind of look at them as they went through the preseason and into the global series. And all of a sudden they took all three to, they took all three overseas and then realized that they can't come back with all three. And again, like I get that if you're ready to move on from Ingram, that's okay. If you're confident in Kevin Lankinen, which they, they were and were right about, and they're confident in Askarov being, you know, available in a couple of years and sure. But again, get something for it. You know, especially with this, like this is this wasn't a first round. Pick. I mean, Ellie Tolbinen was the first round pick they got from, you know, finishing second in the league during the cup year. Uh, Connor Ingram was Tampa wanted nothing more to do with him. They just wanted to get him out of the organization. But again, these getting nothing for it is 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 rough. I mean, you can't it's hard to really justify that, especially with fans. When you see these guys go. It's a lot easier to say we tried everything, but we got something back. But just to be like, well, we put him through waivers and someone took him. Um, you know, Ingram just set, uh, a, I think he had 46 saves in his first career shutout the other night, yeah. which was like, I think, tied for the record with his teammate, another former Predators. Four, 47. He beat the record. In he beat the record. That's right. Yep. He's not quite there. He's not He's not going to be performing this season at the level Kevin Lincoln and Will. I think he does have a lot of potential. I think he's going to be good. He's just not quite there yet. And he's in Arizona, so nobody really looks great there. <laughs> uh, right. So, I mean, it's just, again, it's it's the way these things went about. Like, it's like somebody didn't said, like, hey, if we carry these three goaltenders into this part of the preseason, we don't get them waved down, like somebody waved down, we're going to lose one. And they just went, we got this. We, we know what we're doing. And... 
it's rough. Again, not to say that Ingram makes this team better, not to say that Tolvanen makes this team a playoff team. That's I don't think that we're beyond that point. Yeah. But it's it's it just kind of hurts that both are playing really well post Nashville. It's just kind of a bad look that both you lost for nothing and are both playing meaningful hockey right now there's lots of people out there that you can you know players you can go out there and look that see you know nashville didn't handle them right or you know there's examples of moving on at the right time like pk suban unfortunately ryan ellis which is an even more unfortunate situation but then you look at kevin fiala and what he's been doing uh you look at ryan hartman in minnesota you look at freddie gaudreau in minnesota i mean these are guys that are getting top six minutes you know and it's it's rough to look over and see them. And then you see the Cole Smith experiment and you see Tanner Janos struggling to score anything. You see, you know, some of these guys that were part of the big youth movement that we talked about last season have disappeared. Tomasino just now got back to the NHL, which is still baffling to me, but he's back now. So that's good. <laughs> um, we'll end here, Eric, when you have to forecast post deadline or mid February, we still got a couple of weeks here. Um, what would you like to see the Preds do? If you could be in control here and you could dictate how they progress the rest of the season, how would you do it? Yeah, well, I, I would love them to see some of these, you know, older big ticket guys be moved, but how do you do that? Like the salary cap and the freeze on the salary cap isn't going to allow them to move these players. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that, uh, you know, some of those guys have no trade clauses, so they get to pick and choose, right? You know, I think there are, there would be teams interested, but there's one of two reasons why that won't happen. One, the player has control of where he ends up, or two, that team doesn't have the money and the national predators, they're not in the business of taking on money right now. They don't want to do that, right? Like they, they want to get rid of that player and get that contract off the books so they can start building, you know, assets and, and, uh, and stuff like that. Now, if you could get, you know, draft picks, you know, or prospects, then it makes a little more sense to eat the, some of the money, some of the, you know, some of the money. So there is things that can be done. Uh, I'm hoping, you know, by sounds of what David Poyle said the other day, you know, we certainly aren't buyers, mm. you know, good, good, you know, that he's mm. right. They definitely shouldn't be buyers. Um, and I don't think mathematically they're eliminated from the playoffs, but it doesn't look good, right? It just, it doesn't look good. Your, your best offensive player is hurt. Um, I don't know how serious it's, it's, you know, listed day to day, but who knows? Um, I think they said originally it was considered more serious than they found out it was. So that's good mm-hmm. news for them. But I think it's going to be too little too late and they need to st- start focusing on the future. And the problem with that is some of these albatross heavy contracts. Like, Look, I, I think Ryan Johansson is been maligned in this city for a long time. I think he's a very good player. I think he's a, a very good centerman. He's a big body. Uh, I, I wish he was more physical than he was, but is still a very good player. Players like that don't grow on trees. Is he worth $8 million? Probably not. But at the point, at the point when they had to sign that contract, he, he if he wasn't getting that money here, he was getting it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they needed a number yeah. one center and he was probably the best available and people forget that very quickly um do i think he's worth eight million right now probably not um but i i think you know as fans it's impossible not to think of you know the salary cap and all this other stuff um just think try to envision the team without that player take away ryan johansson you know who's 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 the number one center they, they move granlin 
you know, he gets pushed around and bullied off the puck at every turn. So it, it, it's tough, man. They're in a, they're in a very, I don't think they're in the Chicago Blackhawks bad way, but they are in, in a bad way. And you're going to see some stuff happen and fans are going to be very upset. Why did they do this? And why did they do that? And well, that's part of the rebuild. You got to get rid of players that are good because NHL teams don't want your bad players. They want your good players. And, and nobody is worried about the Nashville Predators. They're, the other GMs aren't here to help him, right? No. They're here to hurt him. And he's in a position of weakness. They, mm. He's not making the playoffs. He's got a bunch of big money contracts. You know, I think most people know David Poyle is probably at the end of his GMing career. He's been doing it forever. Um, so they're not throwing him life preservers. They're throwing him anchors. Hmm. You know, and interesting, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, Eric, because I've had a, I had four or five people last night during the game ask me this question, and I'd like to know, because, again, I think you would agree that it's time to embrace the fact that there's a rebuild coming. If you're really committed to the rebuild, do you put Juicy Saros out there on the trade block and say, we're committed to this rebuild, here's the guy, come and get him? Yeah, I mean, I think if you can get – the ownership and you can get, you know, everybody that works there to be like, okay, we're going full rebuild. There's not a bigger chip on your team, right? Uh, the, the amount that he makes, um, I don't know if he's has no trade. I don't imagine. I don't think he's played long enough to, to have that. Um, so you can trade him anywhere. I, I don't want them to trade away sorrows. Yeah. I understand that. But if you're looking at this from a, a rebuild, there, there's nothing you're going to get more money from. You certainly aren't going to make your team better. But if you don't think you're going to contend for two or three years and you have the most highly regarded prospect in the last, since probably Marc-Andre Fleury, right? Yeah. Whether he's going to be that or not, that is, who knows? Nobody knows because goalies are voodoo. It's this yeah. reality of it. But you believe that he's that guy, which is why you drafted him in the first round. And the majority of the world believes he's going to be that guy. So maybe maybe it's Soros. Maybe you deal him away and you get some young star players. You get a, you know, a, a Troy Terry from Anaheim or you get a, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I haven't really thought about that. But I think, I mean, you're not going to get more from any other player than him. And also that's you're saying, look, white flag, man. We're yeah, we're not we're done. I mean, come back in two or three years when we, we have players that can actually compete. I wonder though, the question is is if, if they were to do that and to, to move UC Saras, would Bridgestone Arena still be standing at the end of the day? Because I mean again, if fans are all like it's time for the rebuild, but I don't think that, you know, if they're really committed to just doing whatever it takes, it's you're gonna see something and it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt you know, emotionally. You know, it's going to hurt physically to watch, but it's, it's you know, you're going to see these guys leave that you've loved. And UC Saros is, you know, he's been in the system for his whole career. He's, yeah. he, I mean, he's as close as what you could think of. I don't think they legacy. Do. I, I don't think they, I don't think they even consider it. Um, they're looking long game, right? Like Oskarov, maybe he plays in the NHL in two years and he's a backup to Saros. The money that they have Saros locked in for, for the next couple of years is mind boggling. Uh, if you look at where he stands statistically and where he, you know, I mean, like he was in the, in the running to win the Vesna trophy and he makes 4 million or 4.5 million. That's, it's insane, right? It's insane. Yeah. You probably don't just because of the amount of money you're paying him and he's a superstar player. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, he's still underpaid. I mean, he might be the he might when, be the one player this season that is getting underpaid despite making five million dollars. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think it's like the best thing though to rip the band-aid off. Is I think it would be an immediate like next day would hurt. Like fans would be super pissed the next day. But I think by the summer, they're like, okay, they, we understand why you did it. Because you actually were you took it seriously. I think fans will understand if you take it seriously. What they're not gonna do is be like, oh, we trade like just do the They'll just dip your toe in the rebuild. Like that's where you lose folks. So I think if you really did rip the bandaid off and got a really good return for Soros, they would be super bummed, but I think they would get over it faster than just trading at home and still just gradually falling apart at the, at the seams. I think they would respect it more, but I also yeah. don't know the biggest thing elf in the room is like, do you want Dave Boyle leading the rebuild? Like he's not going to be here to see it through most likely. Like he's just not. So do you really want him in charge when things go kaboom? Like, do you really want him to piece together the next Preds contending team? Or do you have a succession plan where it's like he rides it out, but when he's gone, we will have a new GM in charge and they're responsible for doing the rebuild. Because I think that's an under talked about point of this. It's just that I don't think he's up for a long-term rebuild. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's a good, that's a really solid point. But I mean, at this point, you know, who knows? They don't have a, if the, they may have a secession plan, but you know, I don't know if they, they have it locked in, you know, like if, if that, if Barry Trotz is indeed the goal, do they really have him, you know, do they, are they confident that when they actually physically and go and ask him to come on, you know, he wants to still coach and then kind of transition to being a GM. Is he going to be available? Cause there's a lot of teams that want a guy like him, you know, is Trotz even the best choice? It's you, you raise a really solid point that, you know, if you blow it up now, you know, do you want Poyle to be on the reins of it? But it's, I don't know that it's going to matter too much because just from a standpoint of time, you know, Poyle is just not going to be, whether things end well or not, he's just not going to be a GM in, you know, five years from now. I don't think so. Yeah. And that's just reasonable expectations for somebody, anybody really, not to say anything about the quality of what he does. Uh, so, you, you, you know, you can't sit there and wait and, and say, we can't rebuild until we have another guy lined up. Uh, because that's feels like that's what they've been doing and yeah. it's not been working and this you know these people grew up a lot of the a lot of the fans grew up watching this team struggle and watching this team not be on tv um you know getting made fun of for passing out the the, the instruction sheets on the on hockey and things like that that first year this the fans are they were coming to games before the cup year you know it was a passionate fan base before the yeah. cup year and they still will be uh, the people, the reason it's a good thing that so many people are mad because that means they're still passionate. They haven't yeah. given up yet. And, you know, nobody's fully ready for a, for a, a rebuild. Nobody likes it. No one enjoys it when it's happening, but I think the fans are starting to, they've managed to convince themselves to be like, Oh no, we need to be bad now. You know, most fan bases won't want to do that, but now they're like, we need to. And there's something there. So have faith in the fans, you know, mm -hmm you know make, they'll come back gotta, when things you've got to solve yeah and you know what make the games a little bit more fun and make them a yeah. little bit more affordable to go to you so you yes. can get those people the tourists who are coming in and see you know 30 dollars tickets and go in there to see what's going on and it's it's yeah. a spectacle because it's i would say i think of the like 20 games i've been been to this season i think the arena got this is probably maybe the third most like rowdy they got was last night and it was not because of nashville fans <laughs> so I mean, and it's, it's an original six team. They're the best team in the country. You know, it's, it's understandable that they travel well. I've been, you know, even heck, even the Cowboys, I'm a Cowboys fan, unfortunately, but they travel well, no matter what, no matter what mm -hmm. year it's been, you know, I've, I've been to Nissan stadium against Titans, like 70% Cowboys fans, like the big teams, the historic teams, they travel well, but 
you can't tell me that the ownership group was watching that game last night, seeing the the sheer amount of Boston fans and the chance and the, you know, I was, I wasn't even in the arena. I was in the concourse walking back to my seat and heard the crowd explode in the third period. And then I waited for the horn to sound, heard nothing. It was Boston fans. I mean, it was a pop that I'm used to hearing from Nashville fans and it happened, you know, Nashville didn't score at all. So it's, you know, you, you have to at some point stop the bleeding. You rip the bandaid off. You have to say, this is going to be, this is going to suck. And just be honest, you know, be straightforward with with your fan base. Cause yes, you're going to lose some people there, but if you can, if they can trust you that you know what you're doing and you know, you're going to help them along in this process as well, it won't be as bad. And if you keep putting it off, then the light at the end of the tunnel keeps getting further and further away. And that's, you know, we've been seeing that for now, I'd say three years. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, at the very least, it's going to be interesting to follow over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to learn a lot about where the Preds in this front office sees things um, very clearly in the next couple weeks, which is exciting. I think they're going to have to be forced to pick a direction. And I mean, that... for, for people like us, psychos, yeah. I just I live and breathe hockey. Like, mm. I can't wait for the rebuild to start. I, I love thinking about it and having things to think about. And it's the circle of life. If you're mm. a fan of any team, your team will go through this and yeah. it's inevitable and it's just how it is. So Eric, this is great. I appreciate you making yes. the time today. Uh, yeah, sure. This was, this was awesome to have you on the program. Um, what can the good folks check out from you? What do you, what do you want to plug here as we wrap up here today? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm still doing my, uh, my hockey show on FTN network. There's on game plus network. It's uh, definitely got a, a gambling lean because look, we got to pay bills and that's what everyone is talking about now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't change the analysis like learning and watching hockey and looking at analytics. It is, will make you a better, better, uh, better, better. I think that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm had a lot of success in the gambling realm and I'm not a gambling person. I bet very small amounts. Um, but I've had a ton of success because I watch the games. I'll watch anywhere from 250 to 300 games this season. And I've done that for the last decade. Um, if you're a player in the NHL and I don't know your name, then you probably don't play in the NHL. <laughs> FDN network, uh, you can find it on all your socials and on YouTube, uh, the Eric young on Twitter, the Eric young IG, uh, also fostering a dog. So if anyone's looking for a dog, I have an amazing dog ready for adoption because she's amazing. You can follow all the stuff on IG. There's videos of her and how awesome she is. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for a dog, I'm your guy. There you I go. Mean, we got a lot of Nashville to, So check it a, out. Like Nashville local. If you're looking for a dog, help out. Like that's always good. Yeah, anywhere. I will, I will bring the dog to you. I don't care. <laughs> an amazing dog. And she would be dead and they would have euthanized her. And it's you. If you see these videos on my thing, you will be like, how, you know, she's yeah. smart and she's sweet and she's good with dogs and good with kids and good on walks and plays fetch and we'll do anything for a piece of a hot dog. So if you're looking for a good dog, I got one for you. I love that. Brian, what about you and the team over at Renegade of Puck and uh, on the forecheck this week? Uh, yeah, so there's a lot lot coming up. We've got some stories in the works, uh, quite a few actually, for the next couple of weeks. Um, so we're going to see how that works out. We're going to be looking at trade deadlines, things like that. Um, big thanks again, Renegade of Puck. We've, uh, Charlie put out a pretty impassioned, uh, uh, you know, case to for shutting things down again. Mm-hmm. It seems like he does one every season now, but um, and it, you can find that on Twitter right now. I think it was really well done. I think it's really well spoken. And uh, yeah, that's the type of thing we're still doing it. You know, 
a 5-0 nasty loss that leaves everybody angry. Uh, you know, we're still there to do that analysis after every single game. And so make sure you're checking that out. I think, uh, I think I said, I think he, uh, Charlie said that we've surpassed like a million plays and replays on all of our, all of our uh, channels and things like that for this year, which is by far the best year we've had. And we're only a month and a half into it. Um, and we can't, we, we couldn't do this being independent like this and soon be with on Forcheck probably being independent too. Uh, we can't do that with the people who, who who don't who support us, and you know, big thanks to all of you who do support us. Eric, you have been a big supporter since day one. Um, I remember the day that I saw a follow notification, and I was like, "Who would follow me with that many followers?" And sure enough, you've been and you've been there since day one. You've been incredibly supportive. I mean, if there's it, like, like Charlie like says, information. So. Yeah, if you're anybody embodies the the renegade spirit, as Charlie would say, it's it's Eric, and and, and we're really happy and. Again, you know, I don't have I don't have an free animal to offer to say, you know, go watch stuff. I can get you a free dog. I, I could give you some cats that I don't, you know, I like them all right, but you probably won't. <laughs> uh, but I'll get in trouble if I offer those up. But uh, it's it, it's we got a lot coming out. You know, the season's not over on the forecheck. We're we're working things out. We're trying to get things negotiated. I think we're going to be extended out to continue coverage under under SBN for another month. So that's great. Um, and then move, we're, we're all looking to move independent. So, you know, if you hear anything from that, make sure you keep an eye out. We'll let you know. And uh, we really appreciate everybody's support. There you go. Eric, Brian, thank you so much for the time. Brian, I'll talk to you next week. Eric, we'll have to have you back on again soon. Definitely. Yeah, anytime you let me know. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves. And I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you that you're interviewing. Mm -hmm. you're, um, pleasantness you're smart so i think i'm going to hear big things about you nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah